God is still God. When things are good, God's still God. When things stink, God's still God. When things are, I don't know what's going on, God is still God. In the good days and the bad. And that's a really easy thing to say. Have you noticed that it's a lot harder to live than it is to say it? I've noticed it's a lot harder to live it than it is to type it onto my sermon notes. But God is still God, no matter what. Today is the fourth of that series, looking at that theme from Scripture. And as we've looked at Daniel and the lion's den, as we've looked at David and Goliath, and we're going to look at uh, the three Hebrew children, the fiery furnace, and a couple of others. But as we're looking at that, in each and every situation, there was difficulty faced. And in some cases, it looked like no hope, but hope arrived. But even if the answer wasn't what they wanted. God was still God, and God is still God. Even if it's not what we had planned, even if it's not what we had hoped for. I found it's really easy to say God is still God when he comes in and rescues the way I thought he should. I've also discovered he's still God when I have no idea why this happened. And the point of this whole series is to understand and embrace a God who is still God in the good days and the bad. Because if he's only God in the good days, he's not of much use. And if he's only God in the bad days, well, who wants to serve that? But God is still God, and it's his plan, not ours. Francis Chan wrote something just recently that said, why do we think God owes us an explanation? He's God. He created the universe. He created us. He has created the plans. He often gives us an explanation, but... We're not owed one, but God is still God. The question this morning is, do you live that and believe that when what you thought was most important seems to be lost? In the New Testament, in the book of Luke, chapter 15, that whole chapter is a story about things that are lost, a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost child. Now those don't all belong in the same category as far as what we would value importance, but it was the same message. And we're taking a look at the lost child, otherwise known as the prodigal son. It's in Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 11. And when I read in just a moment, I'll be reading from the English Standard version. But I want you to understand this passage. I want you to understand the story that Jesus told. We have a tendency to only look at the prodigal son and then sometimes at the father 
rarely the older son, but all of it's important. But this morning, we're simply asking, what do you do when what you thought was most important seems lost? And I want you to change your view of this story just a little bit. Because it's not the story of one lost son. It's actually the story of two lost sons. One had traveled away. One was still home and was just as lost. One, it was obvious. I mean, he squandered his wealth. He did open and obvious sin. The other just didn't get it. But both were lost. I remember one time it hit me in the face with that when someone who was speaking on this said, there are three key characters, the two sons and the father. I want you to identify which one of those three characters is you in the story. And then he very quickly added, let me help you with that and eliminate one of them. You're not the father, which represents God. However, I think he needed to put an asterisk on that. Because you see, we're to follow the father. We're to live as much like the father as we possibly can with his power. So we're to emulate what the father did. But as we read this scripture this morning, I want you to picture it realizing there's two lost sons. One obvious, one not so obvious. Both just as lost. Let's take a look. Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 11. It says, And he said there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Let me call time out. We sometimes look at that and are appalled. But in that culture, this was allowed. It was known what percentage was going to the older son, what percentage would be going to the younger ones. And he demanded it early, which was not common, but could happen if the father allowed it to. That's where we come back into the story in verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. There he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. 
and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older brother was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. I don't know about you, but I've never desired to have a goat to celebrate. But maybe that was just me. Verse 30. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I want you to notice the father was already watching. He was looking every day. He either had really good eyesight or he had the first set of binoculars, something. I don't know. Because it said he saw him from a long way off. See, he didn't have to see his face to know his son because he knew his son. He knew his walk. He knew which shoulder dipped just a little lower than the other one. He knew that stride. He recognized him from a long way off. Because he knew him intimately. And he still knows you that way. He knows your scars and your joys. Your fears and your victories. He knows your discouragement. Your defeats and your hopes. He's still watching. And he still has open arms. If you don't hear anything else this morning, hear that. Your father has open arms for you. No matter how far away you've been or how close. No matter how long it's been or how recent. He's watching and his arms are open for you. You're going to come across somebody this week who needs to know that. Let him know his arms are still open, waiting and watching. When we take a look at this, we've been asking four questions every week of what we've read. The first is, how did we get here? I mean, how did this happen I believe the first thing that happened in this is that the younger son yielded to temptation. 
It was a temptation of comfort and pleasure, which is a devastating temptation. It's the lure of doing it your own way, the way you want it to be. That's one of the most powerful temptations we face. And the scripture shows us it's not just a recent one. That lure and that temptation, not just to do it our own way, but for it to be easy. Sometimes easy makes it very difficult. How did we get here? Secondly, too often we get in this position because we think we earned what has already been given to us. Both the younger and older sons were in this spot. The younger son, hey, it's my property. Give it to me. The older son, hey, where's mine, even though I've been here laboring and struggling all these years? We often think that God's grace is something we must earn. That his salvation is something that we make our way toward instead of realizing it's his gift to us. We have to accept it. Which means letting go of other things. Too often we think we've earned what has been given to us. There's an old phrase that said sometimes people who are standing on third base think they hit a triple when they simply started there. If you're not into baseball, just ignore that one. It's a temptation. It's a temptation that makes us try to work for what God has already offered the older son. It's the temptation of doing it all our own way and making it so easy the younger son. How do we get here? Sometimes we get here by hitting rock bottom. The younger son lost it all. His own fault. He was feeding the pigs. Now, make sure you don't miss the fact that this was a Jewish boy. Pigs, you weren't even to own them. You weren't to eat them in the Jewish law at that time. Let alone be feeding them. And then wishing that you could eat what they're eating. That's a pretty desperate spot. I'm also intrigued, and, and it hit me in a new way this week. When it said, verse 15, he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, sent him to, to the fields to feed the pigs, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And look at that next phrase. And no one gave him anything. That lure of pleasure, everybody gives me what I need. It's what God does, and we can't earn it, but we sure can follow him. It's what we're called to do. No one gave him anything. Also, sometimes we get there because we miss the signs. The father, the earthly father, may have missed the signs that his son was slipping away. 
How many of us as parents have had those moments when we look back and said, I should have seen this. Oh, it's easy to look back afterwards, doing the autopsy, doing the post-mortem, doing the review after the game is over to figure out what went wrong. But instead of focusing on how we got here, let's ask this question. Now, what do we do? We're here, and it stinks in this case, literally. He's living with the pigs. So what do we do now? Number one, be honest about the situation. Verse 17, when he came to himself, <laughs> he realized, I'm feeding the pigs. I want to eat what they they have. I can't even have any of that. And my father's servants are living well. We have to get honest about our situation. Admit what's going on. That's true on both ends. The father had to acknowledge my son has left. He's lost. The son had to admit I blew it. I'm lost. We also need to keep watching for a breakthrough. That is such a powerful picture of the fact that when the son headed back to the father, it says while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He was watching for that moment, that opportunity for the breakthrough to happen. The son was looking too, but for different reasons. We need to be watching for the breakthrough to take place and to realize the Father, our Heavenly Father, is always watching. You know, the son practiced that, that speech. You realize all the way home, walking home, he was repeating that. Father, I don't deserve to be your son anymore. Just let me be one of your hired servants. Have you thought through the fact of how much confidence he had in his dad to even think that? The dad would let him come home and be a servant? The father had expressed the love very obviously. Keep watching for a breakthrough and then embrace the opportunity and the forgiveness. The father embraced him and with that came the forgiveness and the son accepted it. Notice the son had had the speech practiced and his dad interrupted him to which every kid ever born says, they don't listen to me. <laughs> Especially when they're teenagers. It's the same thing the parents are saying to them. They don't listen to me. He didn't get to finish his speech, but in this case, it was for very good reason. This is the best interruption ever. Dad, I'm coming to be your servant. He goes, nah, 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 you're my son. Come back. Can you imagine the son starting to argue at that point? No, no, I don't want to be your son. Let me be your servant. No, he just hadn't even hoped that he could come back as the son. He thought he had already burned that bridge. 
embrace the opportunity that God gives and embrace the forgiveness and be embraced by it. God has already offered his forgiveness, but we must accept it, embrace it. We also need to do it with humility. Be humble. What lessons do we learn? The biggest one, in my opinion, that we learn outside of the fact that God is watching and his arms are open, we learn that we need to give God control of ourself and our situation. Cody Carnes wrote a powerful song that I love entitled Run to the Father. The words are amazing. It says, I've carried a burden for too long on my own. I wasn't created to bear it alone. I hear your invitation to let it all go. Yeah, I see it now. I'm laying it down and I know that I need you. I run to the Father. I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding. No reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon. My soul needs a friend. So I'll run to the Father again and again and again. You saw my condition. Had a plan from the start. Your son for redemption, the price for my heart. And I don't have a context for that kind of love. I don't understand. I can't comprehend. All I know is I need you. So I run to the Father. Fall into grace. I run to the Father again and again. And again, no matter how many times you've run to him, you can run back. He is waiting. He is watching. His arms are open. And we also need to learn, as that son learned, that God loves you fiercely. He doesn't love you passively. He loves you passionately. He doesn't love you a little. He loves you unconditionally more than you can imagine. More than can be expressed. God loves you fiercely. That's the picture I need to remember. And also, I need to learn the lesson as I've already said. Forgiveness is to be given and it is to be embraced. And forgiveness is already given by the Father, and I need to give it as well. Take a look at the older brother. Sitting here this morning, there's the likelihood you either need to embrace God's forgiveness, or there's somebody you know you need to forgive. So what are our next steps? Any guess on what number one is? Pray. <laughs> It'll be number one next week and the week after also. Pray. 
talk to the father. You see, the younger son thought dad was a long way off, but he wasn't really. Because he's watching. He's waiting. His arms are open. Pray. He wants to hear from you. Pray. Pray for the one you know is lost. For you see, the next thing we need to do is look for the lost. Both right next to us and those that are outside. Those we can see and those we can't. Praying for the lost. Always. I don't think we really understand grace if we're not broken for the lost. I don't think we're really following Christ if there are some tears that fall thinking of and praying for the lost. Pray. Look for the lost. Number three, you would think we'd be good at this, but frankly, in the church, we stink at this. Celebrate God's grace. How do we sing amazing grace and yawn? How? Can we even sing Jesus loves me <laughs> without celebrating? Celebrate his grace. Certainly as that father did in this story, celebrate when the lost respond and are found. Which makes me realize I also need to make sure I don't lose hope. My friend, Dr. Jeff Stark, who was a pastor who's now at Olivet Nazarene University, the head of the religion department. When he was a pastor, he had this thing called being a hopetimist. Not an optimist, a hopetimist. In fact, they had t-shirts printed that said that. I love that phrase. We need to never lose hope because... God is still God. Those of you praying for lost children, don't lose hope. Praying for lost spouses, don't lose hope. Praying for lost parents, don't lose hope. Wondering if God still loves you, don't lose hope. Because God is still God. So let me ask you this. What are you looking for? Are you looking for the opportunity and the forgiveness? Are you looking to be able to embrace those who are discouraged, defeated, or lost? Are you looking for the father with his arms wide open? Or just at the lousy situation? What are you looking for? And who's in control of your life? The worship team's going to come up. They're going to lead us in a song, Love Like This. And I want you to hear 
this last verse of Cody Carnes' song, Run to the Father. It says, My heart has been in your sight long before my first breath. Running into your arms is running to life from death. And I feel this rush deep in my chest. Your mercy is calling out, just as I am, you pull me in. And I know I need you now. I run to the Father. I fall into grace. And we can only do that because of his love that's just like this. Let's stand together.